grace and mercy and peace be with you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You have a living hope. Your hope is not distant and your hope is not dead. When your hope is in Jesus, your hope is alive because Jesus is alive. Jesus rose from the dead and through his resurrection you have a living hope. Have you heard me say that yet? I've been saying that over and over again for the last four weeks through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this Easter hope that we have, our hope is alive in the name of Jesus. We've been studying the book of 1 Peter, chapter by chapter. This is week four, because we're in chapter four. And next week we'll be in chapter five, and we will conclude this sermon series next week. Remember, just to give you a little bit of a concept here and a little bit of a context, Peter is writing to a group of people who are going through incredibly different, difficult times in life. Many of them are being persecuted for their Christian faith. Many of them have been scattered from their homelands and they are in strange places. Many of them are even facing the threats and the actuality of death simply for believing in Jesus Christ. And this whole book of 1 Peter is a letter to encourage these dear Christian brothers and sisters in Christ to live in the hope that they have in Jesus, but not just to endure, but as they suffer in this life, to also live as Christ, to suffer as Christ, and to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ in this world, even for the sake of those who are persecuting them. Demonstrate lives of hope, Peter says. Even here in all of chapter 4, there's more of the same, more of Peter encouraging them to live in hope and to live and lead holy lives even in the midst of their suffering. But today I want to focus on just a few short verses, verses 7 through 11 in 1 Peter chapter 4. Peter begins in this section by saying this, the end of all things is at hand. Peter is confident that Jesus Christ will follow through on his word and promise to come again and to bring about the new heavens and the new earth, to judge the living and the dead. Peter is confident that it's going to happen at any moment. The end of all things is at hand, Peter says. Peter and the other apostles, the New Testament writers, were convinced that Christ would come back at any moment. Obviously, Jesus did not return in their lifetime, so does that make them wrong? No, by no means. Actually, they were doing exactly what Christ has said. Live as though Christ will come back at any moment. You can read early Christian church fathers, early Christians who, who, who wrote about the early Christian church, and they all also believed that the end of all things was at hand. Martin Luther was convinced that the end of all things was at hand. One of my favorite quotes of Luther is, to 
preach and live as though Jesus died yesterday, rose today, and is coming back tomorrow. All of these faithful people were convinced that the end of all things as is at hand. And why is that? <laughs> because Jesus gave firm instructions and firm warnings about what things would look like at the end of all days. And so as Peter and Paul and John faced incredible difficulties in their time, and so did Luther in his time, so do we in our time. And I've even heard from some of you in the church, Christ has got to be coming back any day. Look at the world. Right? Isn't it obvious? We're right in saying Christ is coming back at any time. Keep your hope there, for that is our resurrection hope. And so what Peter is saying is, yes, live today as though Christ is coming back imminently. So what does it mean? What should we do as we wait in anticipation and eagerness for the return of Christ? What should we do? Well, Peter says, first of all, pray. Pray. And when you pray, be self-controlled and sober-minded. He uses those words. Have a clear mind as you pray. Now remember, I said Peter's audience, those who are receiving his word, this is the persecuted church. Those who are facing incredible difficulties and, and threats on their lives for believing in Jesus. And Peter says to them, you have a great gift in prayer. Pray earnestly, pray always. Prayer is an incredible gift from God. Especially when you're facing persecution, especially when you are in a time of suffering. Why is prayer such an incredible gift? Well, because when all else is failing, when everyone else has abandoned you, when it seems like you have nothing left, nobody can take away your prayer. You have an open line of communication with your Father who is in heaven. What an incredible gift that is. So pray, Peter says. And from there, Peter continues to instruct us about how we should live and treat one another. And Peter says this, above all things, continue loving one another earnestly since love covers over a multitude of sins. Don't let the persecution or the potential divisiveness of this world drive you apart. No, 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 no. Love one another earnestly because love covers over a multitude of sins. Peter in this is referencing an old proverb, Proverbs 10, 12, which says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Isn't that true? Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. You could say hatred is selfish and love is selfless. Hatred is selfish because you're looking out for yourself and you don't care about the other and that stirs up strife. Hatred is selfish, but love is selfless. And Peter is calling his audience and us to a position 
of humility and selflessness because this is by definition what love is. The kind of love Peter is talking about is this agape love, which is the Greek word for unconditional love or the kind of love God has for us. And agape love is always other-focused love. It is always sacrificial love. It is always loving without asking for anything in return. It is always selfless love. And this, my friends, is the kind of love that Jesus has for you. Jesus laid down his life for you. If you're honest with yourself, you know You know that you do not deserve to be loved by a perfect God. And yet this is by definition what grace and mercy is, that that perfect God comes to you in the person of Jesus Christ, laying down His life so that you can have life and have it to the full. Jesus thought nothing of Himself, but He thought about you when He died on the cross. The end of all things is at hand. So love one another earnestly and use whatever gifts God has given to you to serve one another. This is what Peter continues to say here in 1 Peter chapter 4. Serve one another. Use whatever gifts God has given to you to serve one another. I've seen it in you, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. I've seen the way that you love and serve others. In this time, in this time of being apart from one another, and in this time where our world is in a time of suffering and grief, you've served, you've given, you've created, you've made phone calls, sent cards, reached out to your neighbors, given financial contributions to the church and to other places to support those in need, you do it. And I thank you for it. But why do we serve one another? What is the reason for it all? It's this simple truth. The living hope that you have been given in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, is not just for you. Don't get me wrong, it's for you, completely for you, but not just for you. No, God has revealed Himself to you through His Son because He trusts that you'll do something with that living hope. He trusts that you will share that living hope with someone else. We love and serve other people not to gain brownie points with God. We love and serve other people not to boast in ourselves in in, in light of other people. No, we serve and love other people so that they too can hear of the living hope that exists in Jesus Christ. We serve and love others because our neighbors need us to love them like Jesus 
in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Whoever speaks, speak as one who has been uh, given oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength of God. Do all of this, whatever gifts God has given to you in everything that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. We love and serve others so that through those good deeds they may see God and give glory to Him. This, my friends, is what it means to live in obedience to the gospel. Not just hearing and receiving the love of Jesus Christ, but giving it freely to the world. My friends, the church is not just another nonprofit agency in the world seeking to do good. The church is the bride of Christ, dearly loved and chosen by Him and trusted with His gifts of salvation to give them to the world. And you're part of it. You're part of it. So is this your intent when you serve? When you love? Is it your intentionality that others may come to a knowledge of the truth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that by believing they may have life in His name? I certainly pray that it is. I want you to take a look at this video. What does it mean to be wise as a serpent? This was the question a friend asked me as we stood outside a bustling cotton market in Central Asia, a region of the world that sees the violence of Islamic extremism and the relentless pressure of communism collide. I remember I didn't have an adequate answer, so I chose to remain silent. My friend said, well, tell me, can the serpent hear God? Again, inadequacy and fear of getting it wrong rendered me silent. He said, the serpent can hear God, but doesn't obey God. My friend paused and with a warm and genuine tone, smiled and said, sounds a lot like you, right? He said, the scriptures talk about the sheep and the shepherd. The sheep hear and obey the shepherd's voice for they are his most valuable possession. The scriptures also talk about the 99 and the one. My friend said, have you ever thought that you might be the one? Because when I look at people in your country, I see people who claim to know God, but when he asks them to do something, rarely obey. To be honest, I've never thought I'm the one. But for the first time in my Christian walk, I realized I am the one. I'm a sheep, treasured and valued by the shepherd. I hear his voice, but unless what I'm asked is safe, comfortable and guaranteed to work, I rarely obey. Looking back, I realize that in those moments of obedience, I often mask my evangelism with kindness and generosity, but without mentioning Jesus. It's as though in those moments, I sell Jesus out for the hope of receiving a yes or to protect from the fear and embarrassment of a no. My friend in Central Asia tells me there may be nothing more cruel than to leave Jesus out of our language. Because in those moments, 
all we're doing is paving the wide road to hell with generosity and good deeds. Whereas the people I meet in Central Asia tell me that despite what their obedience will likely cost them, that the simplicity of the gospel is to be able to articulate who Jesus is and what he has done in your life. That their greatest reward is to one day see him face to face and that Jesus is the most serious thing in their life. They tell me that in their moments of obedience, they've become used to water being their pavement. Can you imagine being so used to stepping out of the boat that the water felt like solid ground? You see, unless there is a Jesus distinctive to our language, then I fear that we are no better than the serpent who hears the voice of God but doesn't obey. We shouldn't be trying to avoid persecution. We should be running towards it with courageous obedience, knowing that wherever the gospel is being shared, persecution exists. The 99 and the 1. The question is, which one are you? That might be convicting to you. It might challenge you. And that's okay, frankly. It's good. Being obedient to the call of Jesus Christ was never intended to be easy, but we're either going to take the Great Commission seriously to make disciples of all nations, or we're not going to. I pray that we choose the former. I just find it very interesting that in our American context, and maybe in the Western world in general, somehow, somehow we've gotten the impression that if we speak the name of Jesus, that automatically we're going to cause offense to people. I'm not sure where we got that idea, and I'm not sure where we got convinced that that's a bad thing if it happens. So often we're okay generically serving and loving one another, but does our language speak of Jesus when we do? I would just ask you if it's possible, and maybe some of you have had this experience I'm about to share, but what if the tables were turned? What if, did you ever consider what it would be like to not know Jesus? What if you didn't believe in Jesus? What if you were not raised as a Christian person, if that's your context? What if you didn't know Jesus? And what if you had never heard that there is eternal punishment in a place called hell for not believing in Jesus? And, and what if you'd never heard that there is a beautiful, perfect place free of sin and sickness and brokenness and, and death in a place called heaven, and, and you get there by believing in Jesus? What if you had never heard that? And what if you had a friend who did know that and who believed in that and who treasured that and who lived in hope, but what if that friend never shared any of that with you? Wouldn't that be offensive? I think it would. My good friend and my mentor, uh, Reverend Dr. David Kim, of whom many of you met last May, and uh, I think you'll be able to meet him again in this coming year, more about that later, but he tells this story. 
brief story. He says an ex-Buddhist person, this is a friend of his, an ex-Buddhist person who had recently converted to Christianity expressed with a bit of an upsetting tone, why didn't you believers tell me earlier this great news? You as believers, you knew that there existed hell for unbelievers and you didn't care that this poor sinner goes to hell without knowing Jesus and what he has done for me? And when my friend David heard this from his friend, it cut him to the heart and it shifted his perspective. And he said that it was this story that made him, this is David speaking, this made me with much love and intentionality start sharing my Christian faith with all of my unsaved friends. It's more cruel to leave Jesus out than to mention him and risk causing offense. The end of all things is at hand. The return of Christ is imminent. He's coming soon. He's coming soon. Do you want people to die and eternally be separated from God and from you? Of course not. Then we need to take this calling seriously and live obediently and speak the name of Jesus Christ and the living hope that we have in him. We need to love like it's our last moment and we need to serve like it's our final day here on earth. Because this is who Jesus is. This is who Jesus is. He loves and he loves and he loves and he forgives and he forgives and he forgives you, poor, miserable, broken sinner. Me too. You can live in hope. You can live in peace. You can live in joy. I just pray that you know that there are people dying without hope. And you have hope. So will you ask God to open up your hands to serve and open up your heart for those who are lost and finally ask God to open up your lips and learn to speak the name of Jesus, no matter what. In his name, amen.